Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Darkcast Network. Where the light shines brightest on our indie podcast. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 148. Bienvenidos, bitches. Buiti binafi. And thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able-bodied, white dudes. No, they are not. In fact, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, darling. Allegedly. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth and I just happen to be white. She's one of the good ones. (laughs) We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. That's right. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. We use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about James Robert Cruz Jr., a trucker mm. from Ohio who was convicted of the murder of a 17-year-old girl. It's mm. been widely speculated that he is, in fact, a serial killer responsible for several other similar murders committed in Ohio. All right. Well, before we get into it, how are you doing? Man, I'm so busy. I am losing mm. my mind. <laughs> mm. Mm. Girl, talk about it. Talk about work. it. It's just been nuts. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it's similar with lots of other companies. You know, people are mm-hmm. retiring or moving on or whatever oh, yeah. they're doing. And mm-hmm. we're, we just don't have as many people in the office anymore. And it's just, it's everywhere. Crazy. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I've heard really fucked up things though about this whole like sh- shortage or 
people, you know, uh, with the shortage in in the labor force, because everything takes longer because there's less people to do any any work in any industry. Um, But you hear I've been hearing a lot of people say, oh, they just these people just love staying at home just to collect unemployment and sit on their butts. They don't want to work. Actually, that couldn't be further from the truth. And thank you for revealing that you are a terrible person. (laughs) I'm leaving now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, I just, I, I feel for you. I want to go in that go into whoever's making you do all this unnecessary work, cuss every single one of them out, give them all a piece of my mind. And, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, Angela Bassett, walk away with flames behind me on your behalf. Well, thank you. Yeah. I wish I could do that. I wish. Yeah. I wish I could uh, retire. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Wouldn't that be nice? Very soon. Um, Again, please support the show at patreon.com and tell all your friends about it. So we, you know, (laughs) we wouldn't retire from the show though we'd be no, making more no. more episodes more episodes bonus more bonus episodes I know, we might even so do many video things we could do. Yeah, yeah video there's so many oh things we God. could do if we had more the time. possibilities are endless do stupid work work for the man Ugh. yeah the worst <sighs> i'm so sorry but oh, it well. sounds like you are getting a break soon yeah i'm going to north dakota to visit my daughter and her family in a a couple of days. So I'm super excited about that. I'm so excited for you as well. Now, isn't it very, very, very cold there right now? <laughs> Actually, not that cold there, right? I mean, it's cold, but it's not like uh-huh. it gets like stupid cold in January. Um, oh, so right it's warming now, up. Yeah, it, it's been like, I don't know, around freezing, I guess, and sometimes above freezing. Sometimes sometimes, uh, colder than that, but it hasn't been real bad at the moment anyway. But, you know, uh, it's like Arizona when it gets real hot here. You just stay inside. Right. Right. Of course. Of course. So. um, So, I mean, uh, how many how how long are you going to be gone? When will we see you again? I'll be back in a week. Yeah. So good. Okay. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. And hopefully you'll get lots of rest. And yeah. All the well, I don't know about rest because my grandson is, he's a lot of work, but <laughs> <laughs> but at least, you know, uh, I'll be regenerated. Not it, at know. work. Not yeah. at work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The drainage, yeah. the drainage that occurs on the job. Let me yep. tell you, it yeah, is real. It is. Uh, speaking yes. of which, uh, you started a new job and you're I did? in a new place. So tell us about it. New job, new place. And I'm loving it. Um, first of all, this company has like a diversity, equity and inclusion Um I don't know if it's a department or committee yet, but I keep getting like emails about activities (laughs) and like projects they're working on. Very cool. Um, And they're doing like company-wide Black History Month stuff. Wow. You got to send me some of their ideas so I can do something over here or try to. No, no, no. You do not take on any more tasks over there. No, no. I will not send you one idea, Beth. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh, do do Save the energy for yourself, not for work. Yeah. Um, but it is cool. And um, again, um, we are in just a really diverse area. Um, there are some days we don't see any white people. <laughs> 
And yeah, and uh, I mean, except for old Whitey. And it's just, um, it's like magical. Like, okay, we went to the Atlanta Aquarium last week. I don't know if I talked about this already on the podcast. I saw the pictures on uh, Facebook. <laughs> okay, it was, uh, so we walk in there. And it's like the biggest aquarium in in the United States. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, the blue and the peace that first of all, they had, they also had a banging DJ. Um, it's like all my problems. I forgot about everything bad that has ever uh-huh. happened to me in my entire life when wow. we walked in there. Nice. And I just wanted to live there. It was so amazing. Um, yeah. And uh, that was like what we did the first day here. And I just... Uh, work is work is work. Yeah. Um, but it's a really good company. It's a good place to be. Uh, I'd rather be doing the pond full time. But um, right. I'm just so we couldn't be happier about the move. And that's awesome. Can't wait till Beth, you get down here to come and visit. We'll have a little um, room for yeah. you all set up. Woo-hoo. Um, you know, with things that white ladies like, like um <laughs> soaps, um flowered shirts. What else do you guys like flowered shirts? <laughs> um. I can't think of anything else. I'll, I'll, I'll have to Google it. What tea? Google. Type, type, type. What do white ladies like? What do white ladies like? Yeah. Like? <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want you to give me five stars, don't you know? Uh, <laughs> so, well, um, but uh, I do miss you. And so I'm so yeah, happy to be too. recording with you. Yeah, yeah. At um, least we get to talk. At least we do once a week. Yeah. Uh, and on the internet and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but speaking of talking and conversations, we got some conversations with some listeners who yeah. sent us nice notes and things. So let's, yeah. let's talk about it. Okay. Oh, wrong button. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I was here last week. I'm just all out of sorts. Listener letters. Hello, angels. Thank you. Ah, what is in that bag, Beth? What in the world is in that bag? Well, I wanted to say shout out to Ken, who we've been Uh talking to on Facebook. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Ken asked about covering Samuel Little. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten that request before. And it's a daunting case. uh, It is. But we're looking into it. So we are. We are. We promise. Yeah. We will do it. We will. Yeah. Um. (laughs) well uh so hang in there ken um but hip-hop air horns to you nonetheless yeah thanks ken and then (laughs) thank you to shannon who sent us an email and she said that she's only on episode 27 but is loving the podcast so far Mm -hmm. okay so uh Props to you, Shannon, because we were still having a lot of sound issues back then. <laughs> it was a struggle. It was yeah. a struggle. But God was not through with us yet. With us yet. <laughs> she also said, what I was wondering is if Wendy is still for the death penalty. Mm. So, no, I'm not anymore. Not not, anymore. Absolutely yeah. not. I My eyes have been opened. All right. Um, and that's, yeah, we learn and grow. Yeah. And then she said, would you consider doing some wrongful conviction cases like Kevin Cooper, Rodney Reed, two innocent men currently on death row, if you haven't already. And uh, we we haven't done any wrong wrongful conviction cases. No, not specifically on wrongful no. convictions. We've done cases where wrongful conviction is a part of the story where other yeah. another BIPOC person gets picked up for the right. crime. Um, or, and, and then ultimately. Or we think the person is innocent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But we haven't specifically done wrongful conviction cases. But shout out to um, 
the wrongful there's a there is a really great wrongful conviction podcast called wrongful convictions with jason flom oh wow um that um we've shouted out before on the show and they he actually has the opportunity to interview oh um, wow. folks who are wrongfully convicted and their attorneys or experts in the case Very cool. um so you get really good expert insight so there's people who do it who do it better yeah. than us already yeah. so <laughs> so check that out <laughs> yes and yes thank you for your email. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And I wanted to also say thank you to Jay Farns for your five-star review. Oh, hell yeah. Hip Hop Air Horns. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we got uh, two new pa Patreons this week <laughs> on Patreon. Patrons. Um, and uh, we are recording this after the Super Bowl. Super Bowl yeah. And uh, we are so grateful for our new patrons, Caitlin and Catherine. Um, but I can't get the Super Bowl out of my head. I'm still wondering how 50 Cent got up there, how the hell he got his his big ass down. <laughs> and I also um, wanted more Mary J. Blige. Blige. So hip hop air horns to you for supporting our show. Uh, in case I forget to do this at the end. And here are your tunes. I don't know what you heard about me, but a bitch can't give you dollars all to me. Yo, Caitlin, I hope you can and see that we are motherfucking thankful. See? <laughs> um, so that's my 50 cent take. Uh, and then, Catherine, this is for you. I don't know. Only God knows where the story ends, fruities. But I know where the story begins. It's up to us to choose whether we win or lose. And I choose Catherine. <laughs> no more. No more pain. No more pain. I'm tired of crying. Tired of waking up in the morning with your disturbing phone calls. Anyway, I'll stop. But uh, thank you all so much for supporting our show. Yeah, thank uh, you. I'm in closet studios. I can't get get down as much as I normally do. So forgive me if they were not up to par. But thanks again. Yeah, and we're gonna you. take a we're gonna take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. Crime Con is going to be in Las Vegas in 2022, and it's going to be super lit. <laughs> we are pretty excited to be able to attend again and meet up with some of the folks that we met last year, plus meet some new true crime buddies, hopefully you. That's right. We'll be on Podcast Row with many other great podcasts. Plus, there's going to be tons of sessions, big personalities, and entertainment with plenty of opportunities to meet other like-minded folks. Please join us from April 29th to May 1st. And did we mention it's going to be in Las Vegas? Viva Las Vegas! <laughs> Tickets are on sale right now. Just go to crimecon.com and be sure to use the code Fruit Loops. That's F R U I T L O O P S to save 10% and let them know we sent you. That's crimecon.com. Use the code Fruit Loops. We are so excited to meet you. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about James Robert Cruz Jr., an Ohio trucker who killed at least one girl and possibly more. All right, well, let's get into some stats. All right, so we are certain that Cruz killed at least one person. Uh, he was convicted of attempted murder while he was in the military. I thought it was he was convicted of actual murder. No, he it was, was in the attempted military. It was murder. attempted murder. Okay, I think it was um, reported on one site that it was a, it was actual murder, but it was attempted. Here we go, everybody. The OG of true crime comes through every time doing <laughs> real research. Uh, we are not journalists, but Beth is close. Anyway, he was convicted of killing Don Birnbaum and is suspected of killing eight other women. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. The setting is New Waterford, which is mm. located in the northeastern part of Ohio, just oh. west of the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. So they have weird accents. I'm not sure what their accent is over there. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. New Waterford is located in the Salem, Ohio Micropolitan Statistical Area, as well as the southern part of the Greater Mahoning Valley. Oh, well, um, apologies in advance. I didn't mean to accent shame. 
Oh, <laughs> prior to the European invasion, I just saw Mayor of Easttown, and anytime I see Pennsylvania, I assume oh, everybody yeah, from I there speaks that, that way. Yeah, yeah, um, that's an interesting accent. It is. Anyway, prior to the European invasion, the area had been claimed by the Iroquois Confederacy as a hunting ground, which left Northeast Ohio sparsely settled. But beginning in the mid-1700s, the Mingos and Iroquoian group, which consisted mostly of former Seneca as well as Cayuga, Mohawks, Oneidas, Onondagas, Tuscarawas, and a few non-Iroquoian Mohicans moved into the area, followed by the Delaware. By the way, they were minding their own beeswax. Business, yeah. Yeah. These people migrated from overcrowded upstate New York in search of better hunting and farming land and for better trading opportunities with the French and British. They were eventually pushed by white settlers further and further west and south into central Ohio. Yeah, it was probably quite violent, though. Yeah. By the 1800s, the Mingos had become farmers and had established schools in their villages. But they were removed from Ohio, again, violently, most likely, with the 1830 Indian Removal Act and forced into reservations in Kansas and finally Oklahoma. Huh. Some of the Delaware voluntarily migrated to Canada, while the decreasing remainder of the tribe moved to Kansas and again eventually to Oklahoma, where they lived on a reservation with the Cherokee tribe. In America's uh, early years, what is now Northeast Ohio belonged to Connecticut. And in the late 1700s and early 1800s, people from Connecticut were struck with Ohio fever and flooded the area. The transplants gave Ohio many of its names, institutions, traditions, and people into what was then called the Connecticut Western Reserve. If you compare maps today, you'll still see many of the same place names in Connecticut repeated in Ohio, such as Kent, Saybrook, Norwalk, New Haven, Trumbull, Danbury, Waterford, and Fairfield. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Charles II's Royal Charter of 1662 established the borders of the Connecticut Western Reserve. And if Connecticut had retained this territory, it would now encompass not just part of Ohio, but also Chicago, Omaha, Salt Lake City, and even the northernmost sliver of California. Wow. That's an awful lot of land just to claim yeah. for yourself yeah. uh, from so far away just because. <laughs> After the Revolutionary War, Connecticut, like other states, ceded most of its western land to the new United States. But it refused to part with a roughly rectangular piece of what is now northeast Ohio. However, eventually Connecticut did part with the land, selling over 3 million acres of it to a group of investors called the Connecticut Land Company. And in 1792, the westernmost 500,000 acres was designated as compensation for Connecticut residents who had lost property in British raids. What about the indigenous people who lost property? Uh, hmm? Yeah. Otherwise referred to as the sufferers land or the firelands. By the way, this um west this these acres that were designated as compensation for Connecticut residents. Y'all who are complaining about reparations, how in the heck would we do this? But we did it here and we do it all the time. (laughs) So anyway. So here's a side story. My ex-husband was from Ohio and Uh 
way back in the day, his cousin told me a story that explained why there were so many place names in Ohio that were the same as in Connecticut. Because if you remember, I lived in Connecticut. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do tell, do tell. So he told me that there was a big fire in Connecticut. So a lot of the people who lost their homes in it moved to Ohio. There was no Google back then. And I always wondered about that story because it's interesting. Yeah. So as it turns out, his story wasn't true. But it was probably just what someone had told him based on the name The Firelands. That's what I think anyway. Ah, I see light bulbs going off everywhere. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) This has been Ohio Facts with Beth. (laughs) So Black people were among the first settlers of Ohio, and most of these people were free, but a small number of them were enslaved. Although Ohio's first constitution signed in 1803 outlawed slavery, making it the first free state formed from the Northwest Territory, Black people still faced rampant racism and discrimination in the state. You don't say. Surprise! (laughs) Surprise, yeah. (laughs) On the bright side, during the 19th century, many white people in Ohio actively assisted enslaved people in escaping via the Underground Railroad. And many of these same white people called for the Ohio government to extend equal rights to black people. That's really cool. And we talk about this all the time that these um, progress can't be made without multiracial coalitions. Right. right. So um, this is a wonderful example of that. Uh, Ohio is home to the first private historically black college or university, HBCU. I'm going to give a hip hop air horn. (laughs) Uh, And it's called Wilberforce University. And in 1851, Sojourner Truth gave her famous Ain't I a Woman speech. Y'all, if you can um, uh, watch Cicely Tyson, YouTube it. That, do this yeah. speech. It's a bone chilling yeah. uh, speech at the Women's Convention in Akron, Ohio. Very few migrants came to Ohio from Hispanic nations at first, but for over a century, the Latinx population has grown. The United States Census Bureau defines Hispanic as a person whose origins are from Spain, the Spanish speaking countries of Central or South America, the Dominican Republic, or people identifying themselves generally as such. People who identify their origin as Hispanic, maybe of any race. It's really interesting. Um, Today I was at work and, um, you know, my uh, I was said something like because there's snacks in the break room, chicharrones, which is one of my favorites. And it was one of my grandma's favorites. And um, I think depending on where you are, different people call it different things. But because of the way I said chicharron, somebody said, oh, are you Spanish? And it's complicated. Um, But the reason why this Hispanic Latina uh, Latin X um, conversation is so vast. Is point blank. It's because of slavery colonization. Yeah, There's yeah. all these different categories that were not created by anyone other than than um, European white people right. um, in order to categorize everybody else and yeah. limit their rights and stuff. So, yeah. um, but as Beth said, Hispanic translates to literally of Spain. Um, and I've found that people use the term Latino, Chicano, or Latinx and Hispanic interchangeably. Um, but these days, in 2022, Latinx or Latin A, like with an E, might be more of a term that fits better. Um, and there are many Latinx or Latin A peoples, places and things whose Spanish colonial history is 
maybe not as deep or as long or who don't even speak Spanish, but regionally or geographically are still within Latin America. Right. Um, and uh, Hispanic, like, for example, doesn't necessarily apply to like my Garifuna heritage or Garifuna people or even Brazilian people. But right. uh, Hispanic, the word also centers European whiteness, right. which is why it's a word I am uncomfortable using. Okay. But anyway, this has been Culture Corner with <laughs> Wendy and Beth. I'll shut the fuck up now. <laughs> A surge of Latinx immigration to the United States occurred beginning in the 1960s. Most immigrants came from Central and South America, hoping for more economic opportunity. For most of Ohio's history, very few Latinx people settled in the state. In 1900, only four Latinos resided in Cleveland, Ohio. Just, Just four. four. Wow. <laughs> and most of Ohio's major cities claimed similar numbers of Latinx people. Oh, the food there must be garbage. <laughs> um, anyway, the few you guys don't have any seasoning on this stuff here. Uh, so the few Latinx people in Ohio typically found low paying jobs in factories or uh, as day laborers, commonly working farmers as fields as migrant laborers. More successful immigrants established businesses that supplied their fellow migrants with traditional Latinx products. Unlike most other immigrant groups, due to the small number of Latinx people in Ohio, Latinos, for the most part, did not develop distinct communities or neighborhoods in the state's major cities. But throughout the 1980s and 1990s, Latinx communities grew exponentially in Ohio's urban areas of Cleveland, Columbus, and Toledo. The Latin American debt crisis of the 1980s, coupled with economic instability in the 1990s, probably led to this increase. By 1980, there were over 120,000 Latinx people in Ohio, and by 2006, there were nearly 264,000. Oh, that's a good number, a yeah. good size community. Yeah. And according to the 2010 census, Ohio's Latinx community was comprised of more than 350,000 people, accounting for 3.1% of the state's total population. This wow. number represents a 63.4% increase, yeah, since 2000 and tripling of the Latinx population since 1980. And the census also states that 50% of Latinx Ohioans identify themselves as being of Mexican ancestry. But Latinx people come in many uh, colors, shades, yeah. and um, are from many different countries. Places, uh, yeah. So now, yes, now we are going to get into the early life of Mr. Cruz. What do you got, Beth? James Robert Cruz Jr. was born on August 19th, 1957. We don't know anything about his early life. Anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery. But we do know that his family lived in New Waterford, Ohio. But before we get into the story, we should say that his inmate information says that he's white. But during the trial, he was referred to as quote unquote Hispanic. Yeah. And that's interesting um, that the, the, the di there's different identifiers depending on where what what venue. Right. right or right. what information in the jail or in the courtroom. Right. And when I chose this case, mm -hmm. a lot of times. I just peruse uh, Murderpedia. <laughs> it's one on of the there. best murder yeah. resources around. <laughs> just look look at different cases and stuff. And, uh -huh. and then I look at the picture to see, you know, if the guy or woman or whoever is yeah. uh, a person of color. And I yeah. saw this guy and I uh, was like, oh, yeah, he's definitely Latinx. And, uh, you know, put him down and everything. And then as I'm researching this story, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we don't know what his heritage 
Tijus, but he looks Latinx to me. <laughs> he does he? Yeah. Um, I, well, I looked at the picture, and um, I guess um, it brings up an interesting conversation about um, identity and um, colorism. You know, uh, th- the term Hispanic r- implies that um, it's somebody from a, a Spanish-speaking country, a Spanish-colonized right. right. country, um, and like for example, um, there are a lot of not a lot of but cubans who consider themselves white right um right. and i think that you there is uh, on these census boxes you can you can identify as hispanic and white or hispanic yeah, you can white choose whatever you want really. or hispanic <laughs> not white yeah um and so you know i guess who's to say you know right. um i think it's a really interesting conversation and we're not the verbiage police but no. i think it's something that is again worthy of conversation so in the in the united states we have a really binary view on Everything. Yeah. Uh, but race in particular, it's either black or it's white. Right. And um, in general, we, we do what we have to do to survive. You get in where you can fit in. Right. Um, and I'm reminded of a story that I heard um, a Mexican woman, a Mexican journalist, tell about her dad when he came to the United States. He was brown, a brown Mexican mestizo man. Um, and when he was faced with the decision of having to use the white facilities or the colored facilities, he chose white. And there right. wasn't there wasn't anybody to check him because he he clearly wasn't black. Right. Um, right. But. Um, you know, the in general, the white facility is the better quality. It's more comfortable. It's just easier. And you may not be white, just be white passing because of, you know, your phenotype or your physical appearance. And so if you can, you're going to do what um, is best for you. And if that means right. using the white facilities or identifying as white, um, if no one is looking around and you can get away with it, you're you're going to just go with what is is the better safer choice yeah. for you right agree in general isn't yeah. that human nature yeah so, I think so um maybe that's where some of that got convoluted in mr cruz's history right yeah agreed okay oh boy sorry i'm not very smart and i said that <laughs> no, in a very roundabout true. way that's not true you're very smart <laughs> oh thanks that's, oh my thanks friend okay. I'm, I'm always uh, <laughs> like amazed at how you can talk and make things make sense and <laughs> Oh I'm not, my god! I'm not. I'm not good at the talking. <laughs> I'm sending you like hearts, virtual hearts, and hugs right now. Emoji Can you feel them? Yeah. <laughs> Let me put it in the chat. <laughs> okay. According to a few sources, Cruz was in the military, but while serving, he was convicted of attempted murder and served time at Fort Leavenworth. According to one source, on February 11th, 1981, Cruz was arrested in San Luis Obispo, California on charges that included battery on a police officer, Uh possession of a dangerous weapon, and driving while intoxicated. Wow. Sounds like a crazy day. (laughs) He broke all the rules. (laughs) (laughs) So at some point, Cruz met a woman named Sheila Giantulo at a country and Western bar in Ohio. At the time, Sheila was a divorced mother of three. She thought Cruz, who she called Jim, was handsome and charming and funny 
fun to be with. Plus, he had a decent job as a long-haul trucker, and he seemed like a nice family man. So when he asked her to marry him, she said yes. At first, Sheila was happy in the marriage. The couple had three more children, and Cruz seemed to be a good husband and father. But over time, he became very controlling, even going as far as to stop paying the phone bill so that Sheila had no way of calling her friends and family. Uh-oh. He didn't want her talking to anyone else but him. Okay, red flag. Yeah. Uh, she, <laughs> Sheila began to suspect that he was having an affair or affairs plural, on the road. One day she found condoms in his bag and she asked him about them. He claimed he was holding them for a friend. Yeah. Or, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, so Sheila's daughter also found a VHS tape of Cruz and Sheila's friend having sex. When Sheila confronted him about it, he claimed it wasn't him. Wasn't me. Saw me banging on the counter. Wasn't me. Saw me banging in the trailer. Wasn't me. Even caught me on camera. Wasn't me. <laughs> Oh, LOL. (laughs) As a long-haul trucker, Cruz would be gone for long periods of time, and since there was no phone, Sheila had no way of contacting him. When he was home, Cruz spent a lot of time out in his shed. Sheila didn't know what he was doing out in the shed, and she knew not to ask. Mm. Cruz eventually became verbally abusive, calling Sheila stupid and fat. Sheila felt like there were two gyms, the nice one and the awful one. She began to feel like she was walking on eggshells around him. When Cruz became physically abusive, Sheila didn't know what to do. Cruz had become unbearable to live with. But with six kids, she didn't know how she could survive without him. So she just put up with it, but had become afraid of him. And he became very violent over time. According to Sheila, Jim hated her daughter, Jenny, because she talked back. And Jenny was her biological daughter, but not his. One day, Jim and Jenny got into a fight and he began threatening Jenny. Jenny was fed up and she called Children's Services. Oh, no. That takes guts. That, oh, my gosh. That's so risky. It is. And guess what happened? Uh, Nothing. Nothing? <laughs> yeah. Oh. They came out to the house and did nothing. Oh, And gosh. the fact that she called Children's Services infuriated Cruz. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I'm infuriated that Child Services did absolutely nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So Cruz uh, sometimes brought home gifts for the kids from the road. According to Sheila, one day he brought back a cassette recorder for Jenny. There was a tape still in it with a girl's sort of verbal diary on it. Cruz claimed he just found the recorder. Um, another time he gave one of the gr- the other girls a book about how to get away with murder, <laughs> which freaked her the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, same girl, same. <laughs> Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. 
I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. Now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. On March 24th, 1993, early in the morning, a man was driving down a quiet Pennsylvania road in Spring Township, Center County, an area known as Happy Valley, when he saw something that caught his eye. It was the body of a young woman lying in a snowbank. When police arrived on the scene, they found the body of a white female who appeared to be in her teens, lying on her back with her arms raised above her head. She was wearing only socks, underwear, and a sweater. Her hands were bound, and there was a rope knotted around her neck. The yellow nylon rope had been tied with a granny-style knot. Um, Don't know what that looks like, but Google it. She had no purse and no identification. There were dual tire marks in the snow nearby, indicating that a heavy-duty truck had parked there recently. Investigators made plaster casts of the tire tracks, which had most likely been made by a semi-truck. Police believed that the girl had been dumped from that truck. An autopsy report revealed that the girl had been raped and strangled. Dark hairs were also found on Dawn's body and entwined with the rope. There was faded writing on her hand, but it could not be read. So the skin from her hand was removed and sent to the FBI lab to be examined further. Ooh, that's Wild. some forensics I can get behind. Yeah. yeah. Time of death was determined to be less than 12 hours before her body had been found. Going by the time of death, investigators drew a circle on a map in an attempt to work out where she could have come from in the 12 hours before she ended up dead just outside the town of Belfont. Oh, it looks like Belafonte. Like I Harry. know, but it's Belafonte. <laughs> it's Belafonte. Okay, got it. So when the body of the young woman was released to the Belfont funeral home, the mortician didn't want to refer to her as Jane Doe, which he thought was disrespectful. So he named her Spring Dawn because she'd been found in the spring at dawn. The citizens of Center County and the borough of Belfont adopted her as one of their own and arranged for an appropriate burial. Folks donated clothes, flowers, and a headstone. That's really, That's really sweet. sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jinxie on the 
me a Coke. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll Venmo you the money. <laughs> when the FBI report came back on the analysis of the writing on Spring Dawn's hand, it turned out to be two phone numbers, but without area codes. These numbers were sent out to different police departments in the 12-hour radius that police had come up with, asking for help in identifying the numbers. I don't say this often, but that sounds like good police work. Good police work, yep. One number was eventually traced to a school counselor who told police that they had reported a 17-year-old girl missing after she'd left a group of friends at the movie theater on foot and never returned. Her name was Dawn Marie Birnbaum. It's always brought up, and to me too, it's like really striking how they called her Spring Dawn and her name is Dawn. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. The sources I referred to talked about that as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that is kind of eerie. Yeah. Dawn was originally from Gary, Indiana, but was living in Maine at a boarding school for wayward teens called the Elan School. The school opened in 1970 as a private behavior modification program and boarding school for teens in Poland Springs, Maine. Send them out there. <laughs> yeah, out well, in the middle of nowhere. Well, yeah, Poland and these Springs, Maine. <laughs> Yeah, these, um, I know you're going to talk about it, but there's a podcast about these boarding schools um, that Paris Hilton is is hosting. Oh, um, actually, no, I didn't know about that. I, I listened to a podcast, uh, I listened to Behind the Bastards, and they talked ah, about the Elan School. Oh, they did? Yeah. Well, there's a whole industry of schools, um, even to this day, to rehabilitate teens. Right. Um, and Paris Hilton talks about, um, she, um, she went to revealed one? that she went to one and was abused. Oh, wow. And so um, it, each season of the show will be um, getting to the bottom of uh, a different school and she starts the series off with one in Utah where she went. Wow. But this is pretty, this is not uncommon to yeah. send teens away. Uh, parents think they're gonna the kids are going to get re yeah. yeah, straightened out and they end up getting fucked Worse. up and abused yeah. and tr treated like, um, you know, uh, just garbage. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. it's really sad. But uh, the Elon School promised to rehabilitate troubled teens and was envisioned as a last resort for parents whose children struggled with behavioral and psychological problems. The school practiced confrontational or attack therapy. I have never. <laughs> this is a type of psychotherapy that involves confrontational interactions between the patient and therapist or between the patient and fellow patients during group therapy in which the patient may be verbally abused, denounced, or humiliated by the therapist or other members of the group. It uh, is highly controversial. I wonder why. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, get out of here. And uh, a 1990 report by the Institute of Medicine noted that there was evidence that persons with a positive self image might profit from this type of therapy, but people with a negative self-image would not profit and might actually be harmed. You think? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It doesn't gosh. take a genius to figure yeah. that out. Oh my Jesus. gosh. How barbaric. I mean, it's just barbaric. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Hoffman, who attended the school from 1974 to 1976, called it a sadistic, brutal, violent, soul-eating hellhole. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He and others recall tactics that included restraints, humiliation, and corporal punishment. Yeah, and um, again, I haven't I haven't dove into the Paris Hilton sh um, show, but in the previews, it sounds like there's also, there was also sexual assault. Oh, geez. Um, 
uh, sexual abuse. Students were reportedly forbidden from taking a shower longer than three minutes, being in the bathroom for too long, writing without permission, looking out the window, or simply rubbing staff members the wrong way. If students broke any of the rules, they were often screamed at by their classmates for about an hour in a punishment called general meeting, forced Mm. to wear humiliating signs or costumes, or even coerced into fighting other students in quote-unquote the ring, a makeshift circle of their peers. I'm sorry, but that re- uh, that's really given me uh, Handmaid's Tale vibes. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Handmaid's Tale is um, a fascinating show, especially when you realize that all of the horrific things that we see in the show have really taken place in yeah, like throughout somewhere. history. Yeah. It's somewhere in history. They yeah. did this. Y'all did this. And you did this at this damn school. So though Elon's harsh tactics were not a secret, the school was exposed further when in 2002, Michael Skakel, a Kennedy relative and former Elon student, was put on trial for the 1975 murder of his neighbor, Martha Moxley. Yeah, it's a famous, famous murder. It is? Yeah, because it's related to the Kennedys. Oh, right. you know, I'm just not into Not them. into that, yeah. But it, yeah. It, that's why it's famous. That's why it's famous. Yeah, got, yeah. It, got it, got it, got okay. it. At the school, which he attended after Moxley's murder, Skakel allegedly confessed to murdering Moxley. But as Skakel tells it, the other students and faculty had tortured him to get him to confess. And And when those students testified during his trial, they broadcasted what they had suffered at Elon to a wide audience. Wow. Skakel was initially found guilty of the murder in 2002 and sentenced to 20 years to life for the crime. But he was released in 2013 when a judge ruled that his lawyer had not given him effective representation. Since then, the conviction has been reinstated, vacated and reviewed multiple times. In 2020, Skakel ultimately walked free after prosecutors said they didn't have enough evidence to retry him. And that decision remains controversial. The final nail in the coffin for the Elan School started when a Reddit user led an online campaign against Elan. The Mm. user claimed to have attended the school in 1998 and alleged that the school's punishments were overly severe for most of its students who'd only committed minor infractions. Bad press online led to low enrollment and the Elan School closed in 2011. Yay! Good. Yeah. Good. No doubt that there uh, should be a resource for youth that need um, support, help and help. Yeah. But um, these institutions where they're just harming kids is not the way. So I'm happy to see it closed. Anyway, back to Dawn. She had a troubled life and it appeared that she did not get along with her mother. She lived at several different foster homes before she was eventually sent to Elan, um, the school in Maine. There she made friends and even confided in one of the counselors at the school. In fact, it was that counselor who had reported her missing. In speaking with one of Don's close friends, police investigators learned that she was seeing a truck driver named John. The two had connected when Don had run away previously in 1992. She and a friend took off and started hitchhiking and John had given them a lift. After John dropped her friend off where she wanted to go, Don decided to stay with John and the couple began planning a life together. But when police found Don in John's truck and discovered that she was a runaway, they took her into custody and sent her back to the Elon school. On March 22nd, 1993, Don went to the movies with friends. According to friends, when she left the movie theater, she was anxious and desperate to reconnect with John, who she hadn't heard from in a long time. With this information, detectives believed that John might be the key to unlocking the case. 
However, when they contacted John's grandmother, they learned that six months before Don's body was found, John had gone missing and his car had been found riddled with bullets. He was presumed dead, but his body has never been found. Wow. Mm. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? The Birnbaum murder was a high profile case and was even profiled on the TV show America's Most Wanted. Due to the fact that Don had crossed state lines before or after death, investigators worked with the FBI. Investigators traced phone records and found that Don had called her school counselor from a bank of payphones at a truck stop in Bangor, Maine. Investigators then began a daunting task of sorting through receipts during that time period at the main truck stop and three truck stops in Pennsylvania closest to where Don's body had been found. Investigators compiled a list of several hundred thousand names of people oh who had bought gas or other items at those truck stops. But only one name came up as frequenting both the main truck stop and one of the truck stops in Pennsylvania. James Robert Cruz Jr. Got him. Bing bong. <laughs> so on the morning of March 22nd, he bought gas at the truck stop in Bangor, Maine. Don made her calls just feet away from where Cruz was paying for his gas. On March 24th, he bought gas at a Milesburg, Pennsylvania truck stop a few hours before Don's body was discovered. Investigators were also able to match the tire casts to the truck Cruz was driving for a trucking company located in New Waterford, Ohio. They also discovered from his military record that his blood type was A plus or A positive. A plus. He had an A plus blood rating. Way to go. <laughs> this matched the blood type of the seminal fluid that had been recovered from Don. Investigators questioned Cruz about a missing runaway, telling him that he was just one of many drivers the investigators were speaking to, although this was not true. He was the main suspect. And during questioning, Cruz was very calm in a weird, creepy way. Uh, <laughs> friendly and cooperative. <laughs> they looked at his logbooks, which Cruz readily admitted that he'd altered. This was actually common practice for truck drivers at the time to circumvent federal regulations in order to extend their hours and driving time so they could make more right. money. But right. his falsified logs centered around the truck stops in Maine and Pennsylvania when he got gas and nowhere else. Oh, so Cruz <laughs> denied fueling up in Maine. But when confronted with the receipts, I have the receipts, show me the receipts that proved that he had. He said that he'd just forgotten and that he'd actually only gone there because that truck stop offered free showers. When asked if he'd uh, seen Don, he denied it. And actually, I just learned this week that... um truck stops are actually pretty like some of them are pretty nice yeah. like showers yep. um gyms oh um, gym. i didn't know about that i, I could be making showers. that part up but they have <laughs> they have more amenities than you would expect right because um, you know you're a truck driver there's you, you don't stop at a hotel because you sleep in your cab uh, right. So there's no place to take a shower. There's no place to do all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. That's why there's yeah. truck stops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I was uh, so surprised by that fact. So cool. Very Sign cool. me up. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Investigators obtained a search warrant for Cruz's semi, and in it, they found one long blonde hair stuck to the carpet near the bottom of the passenger side door. The hair was sent to the FBI lab for analysis, and they determined that the single hair was a match to that of Don Birnbaum's. 
All right. So due to the hair match, which is, you know, not um, super solid science, but for yeah, the 90s, we'll get it. we'll it's get what we had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, investigators were able to obtain a court order forcing Cruz to submit to DNA testing for comparison to the semen found in Don's body. Preliminary analysis of the sample indicated a 660 million to one match. That's pretty good. Got him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, Cruz's wife, Sheila, had left him, taking her kids and going into protective custody. Sheila mm. called a neighbor to let them know that they were okay. The neighbor then let her know that Cruz had been arrested for murder. Oh. Sheila was dumbstruck. Uh, What? What now? I mean... Uh, here she is uh, like i'm just picturing like yes i finally because it takes a, and it takes him. numerous yeah. times for a woman to uh, or somebody in a domestic abuse situation to leave right and so she finally does it with all those kids and is like probably feeling so triumphant and then <laughs> just like her her oh uh, just oh uh, what a shitty piece of news yeah. after you know um uh, taking Shocking that step forward in her life. Too. Yeah. 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 Um, on September 8th, 1983, five months after Don's body had been discovered, James Cruz Jr. was placed under arrest at his employer's corporate office located near Ohio slash Pennsylvania by the border. Cruz, 36 at the time, was accused of murder in the first, second, and third degree kidnapping, rape, sodomy, robbery, and theft by unlawful taking. When arrested, his demeanor changed from friendly and cooperative to sullen and angry. He was pissed. <laughs> ooh, ooh, What's that mean, OG, a Drew Crime? Sociopath? Psychopath? Which uh, one? That, that he was pissed? He was just pissed that he got caught, you know? Oh, okay. I thought maybe, <laughs> thought maybe you could determine no, with no, your expertise. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Although <laughs> I pretend to be one on the podcast. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it was heavily speculated that Cruz could have committed other murders and might be the unknown serial killer being called Dr. No. Mm. Dr. No picked up women using the CB handle of the same name, Dr. No. He mm -hmm. would solicit women over the CB radio, mainly sex workers, to a location where they would later be found dead. Oh, man. I know this has been suggested somewhere in the true crime universe, but this should be a movie called Dr. No. Yeah. Um. I mean, if we're going to watch Dr. Death, yeah. I will watch Dr. Dr. No, no as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With commercials. <laughs> so some have theorized that Dr. No could have been responsible for a string of murders of multiple sex workers across Ohio, Illinois, New York and Pennsylvania. So after Cruz's arrest, a special task force was coordinated in an effort to try and prove his involvement in those murders. But investigators were unable to connect him to the the Dr. No victims. Years later, a former truck driver named Samuel Legg III was revealed to be the murderer in several of the suspected Dr. No cases. However, it is believed that Cruz is responsible for multiple murders of women in Ohio, where mm -hmm. there had been numerous women found dead, tied up and left by highway entrance ramps in a similar manner that Don had been. And mm. after Cruz's arrest, the murders of sex workers along the northeastern Ohio highways stopped. 
These murder huh. cases remain open and have never been solved. Mm, that's that's another tragedy. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get into the trial. So Cruz pleaded not guilty. His trial took place in June of 1994. The story laid out by the prosecution was that Don had hitched a ride with Cruz at the Bangor Main truck stop in an attempt to get to John's house. Investigators believe that late on March 23rd, Cruz had raped and strangled Don in his truck. Then, after buying gas, he disconnected his cab from the travel trailer and drove off looking for a dump site. In the early morning hours of March 24th, he pulled off a highway entrance ramp and pushed Don's body out of the truck. A forensic scientist testified that DNA found in Birnbaum's underwear matched DNA taken from Cruz. District Attorney Ray Grikar said a 1 in 72 million chance existed that the DNA could have come from another quote-unquote Hispanic, uh, while the defense attorney emphasized that the sample might not have come from Cruz. About the hairs found on Don Birnbaum's body, Grikar said that Cruz's hair was consistent microscopically to the hairs. But defense attorney George Lepley said that it did not prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt. Lepley and Judge David E. Grind both stressed that Grikar had to prove Cruz was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Lepley cited the prosecution's main evidence linking Cruz and Birnbaum, saying it did not stand up to scrutiny. Lepley claimed that the prosecution had searched for evidence because it needed a conviction, not because it was acting in, quote, the right way, unquote. And sometimes DA's offices and prosecutors do do that. I yeah, just don't yeah. know if that was, if I don't think this is the case this, to make this, that. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Lepley also floated a hypothetical scenario suggesting Don may have left Maine with and been killed by John, the truck driver she ran away with in 1992. Some of Birnbaum's school friends testified she'd mentioned running away with him. Other witnesses testified to seeing someone around the time Birnbaum was murdered who looked similar to a police mugshot of John. But John was dead. Well, he's he's missing. Oh, oh they never okay. found his body. Oh, okay. Now, uh, but Greekar said Cruz and Birnbaum could be linked by DNA. Phone calls made by Birnbaum at a truck stop where Cruz refueled the dark hairs found on Birnbaum and a blood hair found in Cruz's truck and the tire tracks made by tires matching the ones on Cruz's truck. Grecar also said Cruz lied during interviews with the police when he said that he never met Birnbaum. He had doctored travel logs and he did not react when police told him what had happened to Birnbaum. During closing arguments, Grecar performed a simulated strangulation to demonstrate how Don might have been killed. After wrapping and knotting a stiff yellow rope around a dummy's neck, Grecar set a timer in front of the jury and let it count down four minutes. Wow. That's a long time. That is a long time. And that, yeah, that, um, well, all the reasonable doubt is gone. Uh, (laughs) I I have, there's no doubt in my mind now. The packed courtroom was silent, except for the beeping of the timer, which marked the amount of time Grecar said it would take to kill a person by strangulation. Grecar commented, quote, that's a long time to change your mind, unquote. Wow. 
the, yeah. uh, that's very the, effective. I was going to say, did they name that the Greek car method? <laughs> I'm a uh, Greek car. Because that is <laughs> isn't that epic. To, yeah, I'm going to pull a Greek car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a newspaper report said that Cruz's wife, Sheila, and his mother wearing a gold number one mom necklace attended the trial and sat unflinching throughout the argument, speaking softly to each other. Although it must be mentioned that often family members are told by the court that they are not to react in any way to the evidence presented at trial or risk being thrown out. Sheila later said that at the time she wanted to believe that Cruz was not guilty of this crime. Mm. Nevertheless, in June of 1994, James Cruz was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In a strange twist, District Attorney Ray Grecar of Belfont vanished in 2005, and he hasn't been heard from since. Ray Frank Grecar served as the District Attorney of Center County, Pennsylvania, from 1985 to 2005, quite a tenure. On a warm spring day on April 15, 2005, Grecar told his live-in girlfriend he was taking off work and going for a drive. Grecar headed down Route 192 to Lewisburg. That was the last time anyone heard from him. Wow. Grecar's red Mini Cooper was found in the parking lot of an antique mall two days later, locked with no keys inside. Grecar's cell phone, which was turned off, was found in the Mini Cooper. To this day, no one knows what happened to the DA, who was actually getting ready to retire just eight months from the time of his disappearance. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so Cruz appealed his case in 1997, but his appeal, quote unquote, languished in the court system without action for 15 years before coming to the county's county court's attention again in 2012. Cruz's appeal went nowhere because even though the county court appointed a lawyer to represent him, Cruz allegedly took no further action to advance his case. Hmm. In 2012, a new lawyer was appointed to represent Cruz, and the appeal was brought to the county court's attention again. When the appeal was revived, the district attorney's office opposed it, arguing that the passage of time would greatly enhance the difficulty of prosecuting Cruz if he was granted a new trial. Hmm. So in the opinion, Judge Gry noted that it was Cruz's responsibility to move his 1997 appeal ahead in a timely fashion. He wrote that for 15 years, Cruz, quote, sent no letters to this court, filed no petitions, motions or any other pleading to indicate he wished to be appointed new counsel or wished to proceed with his petition in any way, unquote. What was he doing? What did he expect if he didn't do anything for 15 years? I suspect that his lawyer sucked. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's my suspicion. I don't really that makes know. Sense. That yeah. makes sense. I'll take it. Because it only got brought forward again when he got a new lawyer. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Per Judge Grind, the 2005 disappearance of Ray Grecar made it difficult for the DA's office to even respond to Cruz's appeal. He agreed with the DA that the prosecution would be substantially prejudiced if it had to retry Cruz. The judge also noted that six witnesses who testified at the 1994 trial, including the lead investigator, Birnbaum's mother, and an FBI agent assigned to the case, had all died, while efforts to locate nine other witnesses failed. Reading the 1994 testimony of those witnesses into the record at a new trial would be insufficient, Grind concluded. The state court denied Cruz's appeal. 
But in 2015, the FBI issued a statement that hair comparison cannot be used to positively identify a suspect. And Cruz again appealed his conviction in 2020. As of October 2020, a judge was in the process of determining if there were grounds for an appeal. Wow. Yeah. So I guess we shall see. Yeah. And it was all because of that hair comparison. Ah. <sighs> Well, now we're going to get in. Where are they now? What do you got, Beth? Cruz is currently incarcerated at SCI Fayette in LaBelle, Pennsylvania. He still maintains his innocence. Cruz's ex-wife, Sheila, eventually came to the realization that Cruz was, in fact, guilty. And she was struck by how much Dawn looked like her own daughter, Jenny, the daughter that Cruz hated. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So after Cruz's conviction, Sheila finally went into Cruz's shed that he'd spent so much time in to clean it out. There she found books about the murders of women and some yellow nylon rope with granny knots in it, similar <laughs> to what had been used on Don. Oh my God. <laughs> Your reaction. <laughs> What? I hadn't heard that part of the story. Mind blown. Okay, he did it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why the police didn't go look in that shit. What the hell? Okay, maybe not. Maybe not good police work. I take it all back. (laughs) Well, he got got convicted, so it's all right. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) So Sheila believes that some of the gifts that he brought home and had given to the kids were taken from murdered women. Mm Sheila also found materials to make a bomb in his shed, and she suspects that Cruz had been formulating a plan to kill her and the three older kids with it, (gasps) the ones that were not his biological children. Oh, my God. Sheila, thank God she got out of there. So, yeah, yeah. Sheila remarried in 2004, but sadly, she died in 2019 at the age of 61. She left behind two sons, four daughters and 12 grandchildren. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, 
And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. So now we're going to get into our takeaways. What are your thoughts on this wild case, Beth? (laughs) Well, it's really hard to say what motivated this guy since we know so little about his early life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it sounds like for whatever reason, he hated women and felt the need to dominate and control them and, uh, you know, kill kill him. him. Yeah. I mean, that's evidenced (laughs) by how he treated his wife and his stepdaughter and And, the uh, murder part. Yeah. Yeah. I think he probably also did those other highway murders in Ohio. Mm -hmm. The crimes were so similar. If you read up on it, they, you know, the way they're left, the bodies are left, the clothing, the knots, all that stuff. Yeah. And and the fact that they stopped after he was arrested. But did they, though? Uh, The ones in Ohio did. Yeah. There were what the doctor no ones were different. Okay. All right. That's what I read. Anyway. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but people were still. I always am, am uh, wonder when that fact is released, like with the Atlanta child murders. They said murder stopped, right. but kids were still getting abducted and killed. You know what I mean? Right. So people were still but dying in it, Ohio, but yeah, like by murder. But it was the the ones that they linked. Okay. Got it. Uh, like forensically, uh-huh. the ones that they they thought were similar. Those are the ones that stopped. Okay, I'll allow it. Okay. (laughs) But actually, what I found fascinating about this case was the investigation. Mm. Um, I watched the FBI files episode on this case, and it was really interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, some of the people, um, the the way that uh, some of the people related to the this case disappeared. Yes. The truck driver, John, yes. and the DA, Ray Greekar. Yeah. It, it's wild. Yeah. 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 I agree. And finally, um, I, I felt really bad for Sheila and her kids. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Don and, and all the other victims. Absolutely. And Don's yeah. 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 So I, um, to your point about um, the people who disappeared, the truck driver, right. John and the DA. So my understanding is that, There is like a drug corridor in the Ohio, Pennsylvania area where there is a lot of smuggling that took place in the 90s with the aid of truck drivers. And, um, you know, the 90s was also the war on drugs. And what if these people's disappearances, a truck riddled with bullets, a missing man, a DA who's never seen again or heard from again? Yeah, Eight months before his retirement, with that. 
Could it have right. something to do with doing drugs? <laughs> yeah, I think you might be onto something. Okay, so yeah. those were my thoughts. And then, as always, I, I just like Beth. I, I feel bad for the lives lost and, and anybody left in the wake of this man and his terrible acts. Um, but I was thinking about the truck driver aspect of the case as well, um, right, this, aside right. from the drug corridor part. But it's one of those jobs that, you have to be a, 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 if it was easy, everyone would do it. Right. At the same time, I right. feel like you need to have a special person to be a truck, long haul truck driver. Right. Um, right. And I think of, remember when we interviewed Delmas Colvin, a black serial yep. killer who was a truck driver, for example, and yep. it, with his own mouth told us how easy it was for him to engage in serial killing and murder it, in that right. occupation because of the opportunity to move about so freely. Um, right. You commit the crime in one place, get rid of the clothes in another place, get rid of the body in another place. He said, you'll never find that. You'll never solve that case. Yeah. That case yeah. will be unsolved, which is a horrifying thing to hear from somebody t- t- on the phone, <laughs> like a real life person tell yeah. you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's it, it really... I, that's something I'll never be able to forget. And it just made me think of this case. Um, right. Also, the Hispanic versus Latinx discussion, um, you know, obviously we're not going to get to the bottom of it here. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I think it depends on who you ask. But it just like right. uh, just a rem- friendly reminder from Fruit Loops that, you know, everyone identifies the way that they identify and not necessarily in the way that we perceive them. So it's really good to have these conversations in a respectful way if we can, as, as much as we can. Um, But just, you know, we're just doing our best um, to be good human beings. So that's all I got. Now it's time to talk about how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So this past weekend, we just had the Super Bowl and um, crimes. People say violent crime is growing up. And I always took it as like a way to just fear monger people and get people scared. And then um, uh, there's all this legislation and heavy policing as a result, which doesn't really help anything. But I will say um, as I was walking down the street the other day, a man came at me and said he was going to knock my motherfucking head off. Uh, And it was very scary. Oh my God. I, I saw him coming, but it was dark and I was alone and I couldn't turn around. Um, and I had, you know, your fight or flight response had to, had to make a decision to get out of there as quickly as I can, like get away from him. Um, and so I kept my distance. I had, I, you know, in my mind, I gra- clenched my water bottle, uh, and was prepared to swing it. <laughs> um, but yeah. All I say, all that to say, based on my experience, based on um, the victims in this case, head on a swivel, let people know where you're going um, and trust your instincts, trust your gut. Um, And that is how I think you can not get murdered. Uh, So what happened? uh, Well, uh, I, I, like I said, I kept my distance. Um, I backed away and then kept walking forward really, really fast. And then I went into the nearest um, like CVS Walgreens and just waited 
called I text in my head has been, you know, I'm on my way, I'm at the CVS, something wild happened and I'll see you soon. <laughs> um but uh so yeah, just um fight, flight, get away. Like I said, trust your instincts, head on the swivel. Um you can't yeah, avoid everything. Nearest public place. Yeah, thank you. Yes. That, yes. That's lit up. Yes. Yeah. And let people know where you're at. So yeah. Don't get murdered, everybody. Thank you. Now I'm glad you're okay. Thank you. Yeah. Now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by or about any other marginalized or oppressed underrepresented groups of folks or any true crime goodies. All right. This is kind of a both. It's a true, a true crime, um, you know, a, a serial rapist um, and a uh, about a black man. And it's a it's okay. uh, a four part docu-series called we have to talk about cosby on showtime have you heard oh, of it right directed yeah. by w kamau bell um it was it it was jaw-dropping um i mean some of the stories that people told about that time and as you see from the beginning of his career it's like as his accolades go up and his continue his career continues the number of rapes and accusations continues but he's so rich and he's so powerful and he knows it and he says shit like fooled him again you know um it is just how systematic and uh uh, it was like he hunted women for sport it's really fucking sick so anyway yeah um it's complicated being black in america is complicated um, and this whole this whole thing is is complicated, but it re- right. W. Kamau Bell does a good job of making us see that um, that it's hard for people to care about something until it happens to them or somebody they know, right, and that's right. kind of what happened with the victims of Bill Cosby. Um, wow! So anyway, it's it's great. It's on Showtime. It's not okay. free, but you can get a seven day seven day free trial and watch all four episodes. Oh yeah, awesome! <laughs> what do you what do you, <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> I wanted to shout out Inventing Anna on Netflix. Okay, it's about the case of Anna Sorokin, a oh, con woman. She pretended between, to be a rich girl. Yeah, uh, between 2013 and 2017, uh-huh. she pretended to be a wealthy German heiress. Uh-huh. On under the name Anna Delvey uh-huh. in order to defraud banks, hotels, and wealthy acquaintances. Did she go to jail? Um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Okay. So okay. I just say that uh, it's produced by Shondaland, Woo! founded by television writer and producer Shonda oh, Rhimes. Oh, yes. Our favorite black lady in TV. Yeah. Nice. And like most of her shows, it's very entertaining. So Hell yeah. I, I've been enjoying it. Inventing yeah. Anna. Okay, so that is, yep. we need to talk about Cosby on Showtime and Inventing Anna on Netflix, which I will be watching as soon as we are done here right now. Uh, <laughs> but my friend, it has been so wonderful catching up with you and talking yeah. about the things we love, true crime and all kinds of nonsense. Yes. Um, until <laughs> next time, though, where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's all correct. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. 
It's crazy out there. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.